0: What's up, everyone? It's your boy, FJ, back with another Frank James podcast episode. Today, my guest is Dan Johnston from Dreams Around the World. That's the name of his YouTube channel and his website. Dan is an author and a coach. He's lived all over the world, published a bunch of books, and he's out there helping people realize their dreams of working for themselves, becoming location-independent, and basically designing an awesome life for themselves. Today's episode is sure to be one of the best. I had a great time talking with him, and I hope you'll get a lot out of the conversation as well. Now, a quick program note, your boy, FJ, doesn't really, he thinks he's good at the technology, but apparently not this time around, and I didn't have my proper microphone routed to the whatever thing that was recording. I don't know how it happened. I don't know. So instead of sounding rich and creamy like this... It sounds like this. Very high quality, am I right? So I hope you'll bear with me on that one, but it doesn't sound... It's, you can hear me. You can understand the words that are coming out of my mouth. So without further ado, let's meet up with Dan Johnston from Dreams Around the World. And just have some fun, man. All right. Well, Dan, thanks for joining me on the podcast. I appreciate it.
1: Awesome. Thank you for having me here.
0: Yeah. So I need to start off with an apology to you because you messaged me like a year ago. I don't know if it was you or maybe uh, your assistant, but you know when YouTube had the messages uh, back in the day. I do. I do. Thankfully got rid of and you or someone from your channel messaged me. and was like, Hey, let's collaborate. And I just ignored it. So, <laughs> so I want to apologize because in many ways it was like, and it wasn't until 2019 that I started to do collaborations. Cause I think in some ways I had imposter syndrome before then. And I felt like if I collaborate, then, you know, I'm going to be out of my league with, with other people. I don't know why I thought that, but uh, yeah. That. So,
1: it, uh, it would have been me messaging then. Um, I don't remember sending that, but I do, uh, it, it, uh, it would have been me. Um, what's, what's funny is, and I hope this isn't dredging up anything weird, but I remember at one point you did a video about, um, uh, a breakup and then like some delays with your videos or something around this. Oh, and yeah. I had actually meant to reach out to you then, as sort of fellow collaborator, like, "Hey, if you need to chat, dude, or support on your channel." And ENFP thing, like, had the good thought and just didn't actually send that <laughs> message.
0: Uh, yeah. Well, I I appreciate in uh, retrospect the thought now. <laughs> now that I know. Uh, yeah. So I will uh, record an intro afterwards but uh just to kind of get back into introducing the people in my audience who may not be familiar with you your uh youtube channel and your your website i guess your business is called dreams around the world and right now you're speaking to me from prague so a lot of what you do is uh is about travel and being location independent could you uh, expound a bit on what it is that you're all about and what you're trying to, to help others accomplish through your work.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. So like you said, the, the travel is a bit of a theme. Um, I left Canada. I'm originally from Canada in 2012 and I had this dream of living in five countries before I turned 30. Don't ask me Um, exactly the background of it, but it was just what I wanted to do. And, um, sort of evolved over time with like uh, talking about personality types and personality psychology was that thing I would always do like if I was out on a Mm -hmm. date or just talking with friends it was a topic I was really into and for a while I was in this weird spot where um, a lot of my website I was talking about working for yourself like freelancing and travel and then I was also into the psychology stuff and it didn't really fit together and at some point I just said screw it I'm going to talk about everything at once and yeah. embrace these different topics and there'll probably be people who are interested in all of them or maybe they all fit together which it turns out they they do um mm. partially oh there there we go smash the the mic smash uh, the mic yeah and uh yeah so what what I've eventually figured out after many years my like tagline if you will which took forever to figure out is, what is it? I help you become the best version of yourself all while creating the most awesome life possible for you and those you love. So that's sort of the, the, the put together tagline. Um, a lot of my content yeah. is pretty much uniformly. I work with idealists, um, mm. a lot of ENFP. I'm an ENFP myself. And uh but it's not I don't just make content for ENFPs, but it tends to be idealist fellow NFs, like people who can we swear? Is there a swearing thing?
0: I'll, I'll bleep you out. You can swear. I won't bother. Know. I'll do, I'll say another one.
1: <laughs> you know, pe- people who who care, right? People who um people give an F if you people will. who give I was gonna say an S, but an F too. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh Yeah, that tends to just be yeah, the people that I that I talk to, I guess.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a, kind of a high promise there. The most, the most, uh, your best life making it awesome. Uh, I think also we could have all typed you as ENFP just from, well, I thought I'd live in five countries uh, just cause I wanted to. So <laughs> yeah, <fair enough. laughs> that's the giveaway right there. So it was really just that you, you were like, I'm just gonna move somewhere else. And you weren't, it wasn't like, Oh, it's, let me go here. Because there's some kind of opportunity that isn't elsewhere. It was just you wanted to see, have some new surroundings.
1: The original goal I'd come up with years before. And I think in my ENFP mind when I was like 23, I would have been a multimillionaire by the time I was 27. And I would have been Mm -hmm. like, I have penthouses in five countries. That was sort of the original delusional thought. And it ended up, I think i was 27 or 28 and i was doing freelance writing and i didn't have a lot of money it was like quite a struggle at that time but a friend had pointed out like there's no reason you couldn't still do that you know just do it remotely um and you know do it on a budget make it work and so yeah that was the um the starting it, it was definitely coming out of the you know the whole pain pleasure motivation concept. You know we're motivated carrot or stick, pain and pleasure, and right yeah things were moderately to extremely rough in Vancouver at the time in terms of just my my situation. I'd had a business fail and this sort of thing, so. Oh. Yeah, that sucked. And then on the other side, it was like, oh, I could be living in Costa Rica or somewhere. You know, it turned out to be Costa Rica. I could be living somewhere else. So there's the pleasure with the I really need a change of scenery. So that definitely helped with the kickoff. Um, I can't claim to be the ENFP who was like, hmm, why don't I move to Costa Rica today and just like <laughs> got on an airplane or something,
0: right? So not 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 full blast ENFP, but a little bit of. Uh extroverted thinking uh, mixed in there.
1: So yeah, yeah, my my dad is an ENTJ with a decent level of anxiety. So I don't know how that plays in with personality development, but I like in terms of explaining that, but it definitely carries with me where I have a certain level of like thinking things through and looking like I'm a risk taker, but usually I have thought it through and sort of planned for worst case or at least you know thought about it a bit
0: right and what was it uh were there like major challenges when you first uh became an expatriate and you know moved abroad or did you what you were you surprised maybe at how simple it was
1: i would say more the latter uh there was you know, challenges that came up, like originally I was supposed to move with a friend and that would have meant we shared the rent and, you know, I had a friend there and everything else yeah. and he flaked, um, at the last minute. So, and it turns out Costa Rica is expensive, um, oh. too many foreigners there. So like my rent oh. was, I don't know, 1100 us or something, which isn't that cheap for Costa Rica. Um, right. And so there were some small challenges, challenges of like not knowing people and these things, but overall I think it was easier than expected. We can get in our heads about the you hear the weirdest things from people, like how do you buy food? You're like, people eat in Costa Rica. Like there's gonna <laughs> be a process for this. <laughs> like basically anywhere you're going, there are other human beings who probably need to do the same things that you need to do. Um mm-hmm. and so Overall, like it, it fit well for me. It, it gave that need for novelty and variety um, and you know the bits of challenges and newness and things. So I would say generally very positive. Like I've never been robbed. I've never lost a passport or laptop or run into really any big issues.
0: Well, that, I, that's good to hear that it's like you went for something that most people I think would be afraid to do and uh found that oh the anxiety leading up to it might have been much worse than what actually happened you know that's actually something you talk about on your website you have uh, what is it 10 rules of what what are these what are these rules uh rules for what rules for life are these dan johnston's 10 rules for life
1: Peterson copied me definitely Uh, (laughs) I think they're just called the rules um Mm -hmm. you know what's funny about that page because I I was looking at it with a friend recently and um editing it a little bit just the the text not like the the concept of them but I think I wrote those this is like terrible thing to say in an interview like I think I wrote those in (laughs) 2013 and Uh I, I still stand by them. Like when I reread them, I, 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 you know, agree and I think they're good. But I've realized like it's one of the first things people read when they go to the site. So it, it's quite prominent. And yet I've paid no attention to it over the last six years. Like I've just left oh. them there. And, and when my friend went through the site with me, there was a lot of things like the language could have been a lot tighter. The wording could be better. And it's just, you know. Um, so yes, yeah, so let's say 10 rules for, for life. Um, especially wanting to do something maybe a little different or against the grain.
0: Right. So do you think, uh, when you're thinking of, cause this is sort of like what, what's written on here is if you agree with my, if you think these rules are cool, then this is the place for you. I might be someone who can help you out. If not, then maybe you should go somewhere else. Uh, so, so who is the, like when you're making content on YouTube and, uh, you know, looking for, for potential coaching clients, like who do you have in mind? Like what kind of, is there like a specific person you think of maybe even like you from the past?
1: So I'm going to answer that in three different ways just to confuse everybody. Um nice. The the first I think I I do less active thinking on that than I probably should. You know there there's people that have their extremely clear like avatar or who your audience is. And one of the things I've found that um makes things a bit easier in a way is just speaking as you would to a friend or just sharing like not overthinking it and then your audience self-filters in a way rather than if i if i went really like nt on it and was like okay this is my audience it's 36 year old recently divorced men and then i spoke to that (laughs) then i'd always have to remember to speak to that it would take more work um but uh Yeah, I would say it's often people wanting to make a change. Um, That's one of the things I think I help people do well. When I look at what I've also been able to do well, I haven't made millions of dollars or got a six pack, but I've been pretty good at making big changes, like moving somewhere new or quitting a job, like without any savings in the bank or things like this. Um, Mm -hmm. So, People wanting to make a change, generally people who care, uh, they don't just want money. Like if they were offered, I used to ask people this question in college for, I don't know where it came from, but it was if you right now could get a job where you would earn $200,000 a year, every year pegged to inflation, and all you had to do was show up in an office from nine to five. And the work wasn't torture. It wasn't fun. It was like mediocre work, right? Um, Would you take that job? But you could never leave. You could never reinvest the money into, you know, and quit or something. That was what you had to do until you retired. And that was sort of my question to test people. I remember asking a friend who is now a lawyer. And his answer was like, yeah, that's why I'm going to law school. Like, that's exactly (laughs) the life I planned out. And. My answer was was always no, and I would say that people I work with, it would be... Oh, mean, I think I lost you. Uh, can you still hear me? There we go. Yeah, so
0: okay. the last thing I heard was my answer was...
1: So my answer was always no, I wouldn't take that. And I would say generally the people I work with, well, not generally, always the people I work with would probably say no as well, where you'd prefer... you'd not opposed to money but you want to do it in a way where there's some meaning behind what you do you enjoy the day-to-day it's not i'm going to sacrifice the next 30 years so that i can have some money and retire at some point or something like that
0: right exactly you i mean this is touching on something that i think is a i mean that's a big dividing line you know if you want to say there are two types of people in the world it's sort of like do you want the security which there's a lot to be said for that and i can't i can't say that i'm not on that side or do you want the like you say the meaning the the fulfillment and it's difficult i think to always say that a hundred percent one is always better than the other um i mean i don't know if if only you could have both (laughs) you know I mean, I think that, I mean, a lot of people have gotten both. Uh, and maybe that's kind of, I don't know, maybe that is sort of a, a false dichotomy. We tell ourselves when we take these big risks uh, that it's either uh, security and being miserable or, you know, total chaos, but uh, feeling fulfilled, whatever that is. But uh, I don't know, maybe if you're fulfilled... Then you don't mind so much about the lack of security. Uh, I don't know.
1: Yeah. Um, it probably depends too on the the inputs or the way you look at it. So for the certain kind of person, if uh, like the way one way I would look at it a bit differently, just to help myself with the you know risk taking or anxiety or whatever, is yeah. is a normal job really reliable anymore? You know, our parents' generation was a little bit different in terms of yeah. you could get that good job and have six weeks vacation and you know, earn enough money and whatever. Right, and have a and, pension and everything. Yeah. And and so is it like for me, is it more secure? I actually think it's less risky to do my own thing because if I was to get a job, eventually I would probably quit or be fired and <laughs> I'd be unhappy and so there's probably a better chance of me being financially stable at age 50, going the route I'm going, than if I did try to force myself into someone else's box. So even though on the surface it looks more risky, I bet if we had some INTJ do a bunch of calculations about it and figure it all out, they'd probably come back and say, actually, this is, you know, less risky than uh, whatever other approach.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess when you think about it, when you go far enough up the chain, uh, even with a big corporation, at some point it is someone who has gone into business for themselves, you know. So it's either you're reliant on someone else taking the risk or you take it yourself, you know, where does the buck stop? But just because the risk doesn't necessarily lie with you personally, it doesn't mean that you won't uh, necessarily suffer any consequences if things go south
1: yeah definitely i imagine right now if you were working your your butt off to become the the manager of Huawei in america or something you know you're like i'm the store manager now i've got my money (laughs) well beyond your control you're now fired
0: right right exactly what do you see as being like the biggest barriers that people have when they want i don't know if want to make a change is the best way but to change to like taking those risks is it just simple anxiety or is there more to it do you think
1: um i think i was actually just talking to a friend about this today we were walking through a cemetery which doesn't uh it's not as creepy as it sounds they're very (laughs) big beautiful cemeteries here and it's sunny day and we went out for a walk but um i'm planning at the end of this year to go essentially like nomad again for quite a while so me Uh and my girlfriend will we still have to discuss the details and and come to an agreement and figure out where we want to go and stuff but essentially go back um and maybe go to south america or somewhere and when i first made the decision and like thought, actually, this would be really in a very ENFP fashion. Like it came to me one day and by lunchtime, I was like, I'm going to do this. This will be great. <laughs> I hope she says yeah. it's OK. Um, <laughs> is over time, because we haven't firmed up any plans. Now I do find myself going back and forth like, oh, I really like my apartment here and rents have went up when I come back, you know, or yeah. what about my friends and and what? I was discussing with my friend is there's, there's something nice about a permanent decision that you can't go back on. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think often people get stuck in the back and forth. Like I want to do this, but I'm not, uh, you know, just overthinking every single detail. And I found that if a decision or if a situation is conclusive, like you have to do something Or, um, this is a little extreme, but even like if you're, um, get diagnosed with something bad, you know, something that you don't want to have, I think the process of waiting for the results is probably more painful than getting the results in terms of mentally, where once we know we're in a situation, humans are really, really good at figuring out what to do and solving problems and dealing with it. But the unknown is very tough. So the strategy i've used for myself and i encourage people to use is if there's something that you do know you want to do like you've had this recurring theme of you know i i I want to start my own business i want to travel i want to quit my job or become a broadway dancer whatever it is and Mm -hmm. it keeps coming back to you find a decision you can make that you can't really come back from and then Uh. that locks you into it and then you'll put your brain more in problem solving mode instead of debating mode, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah, what it sounds like really, uh, especially in your case, I mean, that, I think this is a, kind of a universal human thing, but in terms of personality type for someone who is lead extroverted intuition, such as yourself, that your autopilot is seeing all the possibilities. Uh, you know and drawing all the the different pathways that things could go down and then what you've what you've been able to tap into by making those decisions where you're kind of boxed in a bit is uh going to the inferior function and like limiting down the choices like narrowing down exactly uh what it is that you're going to do rather than keeping things open which i imagine which is it's a scary thing for anybody but especially for an ENFP that's like doing that's like going against your programming to limit things down. So whether you realized it or not. So yeah, I,
1: I didn't think of it that way, but that, that definitely makes sense. And um, on the, on the note of extroverted intuition, it then lets you redirect it maybe to problem solving. Yeah. So if you, right. you know, quit your job and you're like, Oh crap, now I'm broke and I need to figure out what to do now, but at least I don't have my job you can redirect the possibilities to what can I do now? How can I make money? What should I spend my life doing instead of the, should I quit? What, like, if you direct that intuition towards the bad things that could happen, it's a nightmare function, right? Um, And so if you can kind of direct it to the problem solving, the positive side, whatever, it's definitely, definitely serves you better.
0: Yeah. And that, you know, that made me think of earlier, you mentioned that, uh, you had a business that failed and in a way, did you find that when you were put in that position, that automatically kind of limited, uh, choices, did that free you in a way because of that? Or did you find it still sort of like, you know, the nightmare of, Oh, I failed.
1: There was an aspect that was freeing, um, I was definitely in a high stress throughout the whole situation. Um, yeah. So not necessarily at my best, but I remember there's a thing some entrepreneurs say, like the worst case, I'll become a bartender. I remember a good <laughs> friend of mine said this. He he had no stress about his business because he used to be a bartender. He's like, it was the best job of my life. It was way more fun than having this business. So oh, yeah. if it fails, I'll become a bartender again. Like I'm not worried. And so when, when that happened, unfortunately, to become a bartender in Vancouver, you need to be extremely large chested or have like 10 years experience. Like oh, okay. a man with no experience does not get hired as a bartender. And right. but a friend of mine managed a kind of nightclub bar, a Western bar. And I, I'd also borrowed some money from this friend. And so he was like, I need someone to help out. You can be like the assistant to the assistant bartender, basically the guy who cleans up puke and the toilets. And so I did have this experience where I went from uh, having people working for me and an office and, you know, a bit of an ego trip for sure. As my mom uh, put it, you were you were quite a little asshole before then. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Great mom. And uh, so I had this experience of going from that to. Working at this bar and then at the same time that like I worked there for two nights and a bunch of people I knew on sort of very mixed terms, like people I would not want to come in while I was working there, like cleaning up puke. So it was just Mm -hmm. like in one night, it was just the ego. It was painful, but then it was like you woke up the next day and was like, that wasn't so bad at all. Like, whatever. And uh, there was a cute girl working there that uh, gave me her number. Never actually answered anything i sent her but nonetheless <laughs> was, so there was like positives from it i mean right where at the end of the night i was like that wasn't so bad like it, it could have been a lot worse and so that i think does help with um like doing something and failing it's never as bad as you think it will be and i had it about as bad as it could get i would guess and it was mm-hmm. still okay. That made me a better person. I think it made me smarter, and um, probably helped with thinking. You know, as rational as an ENFP can be, it probably helped with that.
0: Yeah. Well, if this ties into one of these rules that you haven't looked at in six years, is <laughs> <laughs> take take risks and realize most punishments never arrive. Um, and you talk about how you had. Uh, Two different situations, one where you got smashed in the head by a group of thugs, it says here.
1: Is that still on my way? I do need to look at this.
0: That's still there. Uh, But then another time you were, you endured weeks of threats of something similar, but what was actually worse was just the threats and actually getting, you know, getting your head smashed in wasn't (laughs) wasn't as bad. Um, And you... Vancouver's a tougher
1: town than you would think. I mean, we advertise bears and Olympics and all this stuff, but you know you actually get there
0: yeah, you know as an American, I have this image of Canada where it's just like you know you, even the thugs would apologize after they beat you up so we have
1: yeah. a, not to go too off topic, but we have we <laughs> have fine. a lot
0: more fights than
1: Americans. I remember I did a road trip uh down to Washington and. Mm-hmm my friends were doing some stupid things and there was no threats of violence. And we, the, the theory we came up with is because anyone could have a gun, you're not going (laughs) to, you're not going to punch someone or a bouncer. Isn't going to rough you up because you might have a weapon or come back with a gun or something. And Uh, Vancouver partially because of that, but also because of hockey, like it's acceptable uh, to fight. It's your, if you got in a fist fight at school in most families at least when i grew up your parents would be like all right did you win you know this sort of thing where uh now like in in most of europe uh maybe because of some of the history like if you got in a fight people would be like what is wrong with you like are you a Uh, caveman that's just like violence is bad um and i I probably america's somewhere in the middle like violence is good if it's like on a global scale but individually maybe not as good i don't know
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, that's an interesting point that you bring up about, um, about in America, we, there's the, there's the threat that someone might have a gun, which I think that part of it is also, um, what's interesting that you bring that up. Cause I, uh, I have seen that it is sort of a international, uh, what is it? Stereotype that like everyone in America has a gun or that they're very proliferated throughout society. And which isn't true, but on the other hand, there is that thing where that now I realize that it, it's in the back of my mind where it's like you never really know who might have a gun, even though it's very unlikely. So you might you might be onto something there. That uh, that's why we don't get into fights. I mean, I don't get into fights because I know I'd lose. But uh, <laughs> but well, that's a uh, nice
1: thing in Vancouver. There's so many fights that all the bars have enough bouncers that if you know you're going to lose. But your egos in it or whatever, you can yeah. start a fight that you know you'll lose, but the bouncers will break it up before oh. anything happens. <laughs> so you get to look like you could have won the fight and don't uh, have to prove anything.
0: So you, yeah, so you have to like position yourself, make sure that you're within, you know, the eye line of the bouncer.
1: A hundred percent.
0: That <sighs> hey, there's there's a another video that you could make is like you know fight preparation that could be your your next (laughs) (laughs) what uh now you know we're talking about some cultural differences here just between the canada the canada between canada and the u.s um since you've you've have you you've lived in the five countries that you said you'd live in is that did you meet that goal
1: i did i did
0: yeah so what uh I mean, where have you lived and what have you seen as being the most interesting like cultural differences uh, in those places?
1: So after Costa Rica, I went to to New York just for a few months. And Uh um, from there, I've lived in Hamburg and Berlin, Germany, um, Bologna, Italy, which is sort of a midsize, smaller city. And Mm -hmm. uh, Barcelona, Spain. The places I've spent the most time have been uh, Germany, and then Germany for maybe a year, year and a half in total, and then the Czech Republic, Prague. Here for I guess almost five now. Yeah. Um, so those are the biggest I've noticed the differences. Um, there's at least for me from the people that I grew up with in Vancouver and my own family versus what I've what I've seen here. There's definitely differences in like relaxation and work for work's sake and kind of that work-life balance. Mm -hmm. And so even a hardworking German, I mean, Germans are the Germans, right? Work hard, industrious people. And they will finish, like they work nine to five, let's say. And at five, they leave and they go meet their friends or whatever. And on weekends, they go to their cabin or go to their lake or something like that. Um, In one of the interesting things with, the Czech Republic, and, and this is true for a lot of the former communist countries or former Soviet countries, is uh, a lot of people have a cabin or second home. So I think the Czech Republic oh. has the highest second home ownership in either the world or at least in Europe. Um, oh. I hope someone doesn't fact check me, but that's what I've heard. <laughs> and uh, I'm not I'm not going to say fact check me. Don't fact check me. Just believe it. And so what I what I heard is during communism we have this this view that it was it wasn't good very few checks will be like i miss the communist days right Right, some of the older people but they had basically forced recreation so everyone had a cabin and on the weekends it was like hey go to your cabin spend time with your family you were highly encouraged to take a vacation i think it was once a month Uh, take like a three-day weekend or things like this Mm -hmm. and so Even the very, you know, the communist times or industrious Germany, there's definitely more consistent kind of vacations, um, more of this, like when you stop work, you stop work. You go, you know, whether it's France and you go have wine or Germany or whatever. Um, So that actually, that combined with the fact that everything is really old here, actually, I think helped me with some of the, uh enfp tendency of shiny object like right wanting things to happen really fast it i learned Mm. to slow down and look at okay that church took 30 years to build i'm expecting this to happen in a week maybe i can slow it down a little bit you know and right um in turn not change direction uh nearly as much um what else i think the phone obsession is still here, but less so. Like you're not seeing as many earbuds or earbuds, whatever they're called. Um, yeah. If you're out for uh, at a cafe or for dinner, most people at most tables don't have their phones out. Uh, I haven't been all over America too much. I, I think the last time was New York last year. Uh, mm-hmm. But it, I do notice a difference with that. The amount people are kind of in their phones.
0: Yeah, it's like 100% of the time almost. <laughs> Which
1: is not probably the healthiest thing, unless they're watching our channels. Then it's completely acceptable, then, of course.
0: do it all day. you know, All day. <laughs> Get uh, that watch time.
1: Like and subscribe. Hit the bell. Um, <laughs> and there, there is some... There's definitely, I think, more conservative mindsets, not in terms of like drugs or sex or any of the fun stuff, but in terms of yeah. uh, people like there's there is the attitude in America and Canada and Australia and and that to a lesser extent of like you can do anything. You know, work hard, yeah. like go after your business, go for your dreams and that's not as much here. There are entrepreneurs in Europe, but they're definitely on the whole not as innovative or not as risk-taking. Um a lot of the bigger companies in Germany, there's one that i'm forgetting but it's owned by two brothers and they basically just knock off american like they have their fake airbnb and this sort of thing like they localize it for europe before the companies get here Uh, so less kind of innovative risk-taking i would say um yeah i
0: totally get what you mean
1: yeah um The only other thing that comes to mind, my brother was visiting me recently and this came up and there were two things that uh, I think it was a Spanish friend pointed out or shared the differences. One is North Americans. We always tell people when we're going to pee. So if you're like (laughs) at a table, like Europeans will, I never noticed this until he brought up, but Europeans will just get up and go, but we'll always be like, I'm going to the bathroom now as if like people needed to know. (laughs) And then the other thing is asking people what they do. So, uh, very common you know the first thing people often ask i noticed it was the first thing my brother would sometimes ask people and yeah. what what i would have done back home and it depends on the country but there's uh friends of my girlfriend guys that i've been out with probably a dozen times um you know having dinner drinks that i'd consider friends they've been to my house and i don't know what they do for a living i don't have a clue they could be an engineer or they could be a like rock star it just yeah. like doesn't always come up um and i don't know whether that's good or bad but it does take a little bit of the the judgment out because when someone does tell you what they do you you can't help but make assumptions if someone says they're an accountant you're going to assume yeah. things if someone says they're a stripper you're going to assume things that they're a good <laughs> dancer and have great cardio
0: right and, yeah. <laughs> and so
1: it um that that's the difference i've heard in country like very traditional places like portugal that if you ask someone before you've had dinner with them it's considered extremely rude like you'd never wow. ask someone what they do you'd first have to like get to know them quite well um so that, right. that maybe that says a lot about kind of where people's heads are at or maybe it's just a tradition thing i don't know
0: yeah well i think that really hits on i mean everything you You've been saying here revolves around the difference with um, over here in North america the the work life balance and like our attitude towards work and how we basically uh equate that with your life in a way we we live to work over here and uh, over in Europe I've never been to Europe but just from all the the many uh Rick Steve's Europe travel shows I've watched uh it seems like. They have uh, a much uh, finer appreciation for like the small pleasures of life, you know and just, and not not always needing to be uh, going for the sale you know or uh, going for the clothes all the time uh, and I know like i don't know how how familiar are you with the enneagram
1: Not very much um. It's something actually listening to your your podcast with I think it was with Eric where I was like okay yeah, maybe I'll look into up, yeah. this more because people comment all the time on my videos the comments not to go off too far but the comments that drive me nuts are the astrology like I'm a like I'm a Taurus <laughs> I mean, ENFP yeah. I'm like good for yeah. you um, but I, <laughs> I do mean, see exactly it but I'm not be. that familiar with it but go ahead and yeah well yeah, I
0: mean the thing I think enneagram in some ways is a little bit more easy to digest and use than, like, Myers-Briggs because Myers-Briggs has all these moving parts and different combinations, so there's, like, overlap between types, whereas Enneagram, they're very distinct. And I only bring it up because there's a lecture on YouTube by uh, Richard Rohr, who's, like, an Enneagram expert, and he always gives the a country for enneagram types and for the us he says that there are three and the three type is like the i think it's often called like the performer but it's basically highly ambitious uh someone who needs to prove themselves and all their worth comes through the their accomplishments and the work they do whereas other countries in europe uh definitely are not threes like i think France is like a four country where they're like the romantic, the artist. Ireland is the seven, which is like the, uh, the happy-go-lucky kind of uh, type. So uh, well, a lot of what you're speaking to is, is th- just the, the personality type difference between countries. And uh, one thing I wonder about when it comes to work is when you're working for yourself, how do you... I mean, how do you balance that? Because it seems like, in some ways, the the feeling that people get is, "Oh, if I work for myself, I'll do like, you know, I'll do the Tim Ferris four-hour work week. It'll be great. I'll just be on a beach drinking margaritas all the time." But um, the reality is that for some people working for themselves, it might be eighty-hour work weeks. So, how do you manage that uh, to to be able to enjoy? life for life's sake and not just live to work, but also uh, be your own boss.
1: Yeah. A very, very good point. Um, I find, so at this stage I find I'm my own kind of worst enemy and I have to be proactive about it. So there's a, I have no doubt there, there's different times where I could probably work five hours a week and roughly maintain. um, Yeah. If not possibly, grow um if i was really disciplined with exactly how i spend my hours and kind of that time um Mm -hmm. there's other times like especially the earlier on what whatever business it's been like the early stages when you're learning everything new and you're figuring things out like you do work a lot of hours often um but yeah i found that i need to just proactively fight that tendency to keep working so having things like if I know at 4 p.m. I'm going to go meet a friend, I will work way more efficiently before I just focus right. better things, you know, more things get done. Same with like taking weekends off uh, where if you're the thing that happens to me, if I don't police it and it happens, I think, to most people when they start off is all time becomes working time and then your efficiency right. kind of falls in half because there's no deadline so there's no pressure so you just kind of go and like check email and check comments or whatever and um so part of it is that discipline like giving yourself a a, a fixed schedule and trying to make social plans and other things to to be like the cutoff and um and then the other thing that i i try to do on more the bigger picture is be aware of like what i do well. what are like my superpowers and also where can I contribute the most to my own business? And then I've been actively trying to work, whether it's through software or through uh, other people I work with or through just whatever to eliminate the other things so that I can spend my time doing the things that I actually do well and that are more like higher leverage, if you will. And then Mm -hmm not do the other stuff so that's kind of the big picture and then the day-to-day is like being disciplined taking lots of breaks making social plans that sort of thing
0: so it's it's actually like a discipline to have time off totally. rather than just yeah just let it totally bleed into everything
1: yeah which you would which think is, would be easy for an enfp but it's it's a struggle
0: right. often that
1: i have to figure out
0: Right, yeah. I was just listening to uh, one of your podcast episodes about type A and type B personality and how uh, you said you're kind of a type A and giving advice for other type A's uh, that they should tap in a little bit to that type B personality from time to time, if I may summarize. Yeah, Uh, yeah. (laughs) Um,
1: And it's something I had thought I was more type B, because I have adopted some of those things, because you hear enough people talk about taking breaks or learning to relax. And so I've kind of learned to do that. But clearly under the surface, I'm wired the type A, you know, goal driven, not in a, mm-hmm. a an extreme way, like not I'm not really competitive, but in a like everything needs a purpose. Like, why am I doing this? What am I, you know, how is it going to benefit me or benefit my mission or, you know, have a purpose, basically? right where would where Um, do you think you fall a or b
0: uh definitely type b well (laughs) i mean i say that because i've uh i don't know like i i probably have a very skewed perception of myself and like i took the big five test i don't know if you've ever taken that um but i got a very low score in conscientiousness which is like basically you know are you type a or type b and I think though, but when I've been talking to people about all the stuff I'm doing, it I'm, I'm actually I actually work a lot, but it's on stuff like YouTube and uh, other artistic things that I guess I have it in my brain that those those are not uh, that doesn't count, you know. So what really count? What really counts is uh, you know making a lot of money at a day job or you know, um, running a marathon or something. So when I guess it's, I think it's the kind of thing where you will overlook the things you're good at. And I think especially in when it comes to bringing it back to personality typology, we get bored by our, when we're talking about our, um, like dominant function, it just it doesn't seem exciting or fun to us because it's um because it's obvious you know and so in a way it's like when you're doing something that you're really good at it doesn't feel like work and so it uh, it seems like well i didn't accomplish anything i was just doing what i'm good at what feels like an accomplishment is when you're really grinding and you did something that was hard you know very true very true yeah, so it's difficult for, you know, so I would say I'm type B. I mean, comparatively, uh, I've seen people who are way more type A, but I think it, I think it really depends on what arena of life you're talking at, about because pe- I think anyone can be type A in some field, even and maybe um, maybe that's the key to life. Maybe I've discovered it as I'm ta- talking it out here that to find the thing that where you can be type A, is uh you know maybe your calling i don't know
1: yeah yeah it's um it's it's one of those things too where we like you said we definitely undervalue the things we do really well and that too like people often will really undercharge or they won't believe that they can do something they want to do because they're like no one would pay me to like play music you're like yes they're called musicians people do that (laughs) (laughs) you know like that's Um, they're like, I only can earn money doing something that sucks or whatever to
0: them. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I mean, I don't know. Did you find that when you, when you went into, when you created dreams around the world, did you have some of that, uh, some of those beliefs that, Oh, I'm, I really shouldn't be able to make money off of something that I enjoy. Or were you like, had you grown enough by then that you were like, yeah, I should do this.
1: I was pretty good on it. Uh, I I had some self-doubt from like a stress, there's no savings in the bank sort of thing. But in terms of whether it was a real thing, I had had enough of a peer group, I, I think at that point for probably four or five years of knowing other entrepreneurs and people who were in the coaching world or so it was real to me. It was like, "Oh, you can do this. This is a real thing. I know people who've done well in it." Um not necessarily the exact same thing, but sort of the same world, right? Like um whether it's right. like knowledge or making videos or whatever. Um and so it it did seem more real to me at that stage.
0: Right. I think well, that's uh I think that is a uh Definitely a growing process that a lot of people need to go through. Who have, who have these things that they want to do, but still are at the stage where they're like, "I, that it's not possible for me," you know. Because one thing I've realized fairly recently is, like you said, there are just there are so many, there are so many things that people will pay money for because they want it because it brings value, and we undervalue the things that that we're good at. Like, why would, why would anyone else care? Why can't they do that for themselves? And it's like, no, that's, that's what's special about you is that you're good at that thing. You know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. Um, and yeah, a very good realization to have.
0: Yeah. One of the other rules on here on your list that I, that piqued my interest that I would like to talk about for a little bit. Well, you know, I just have a, a couple more burning questions to ask, uh, but the uh, your rule number ten about opportunity seized in the eyes of others is luck. Um, how much do you think that luck has played into your life, and what to you? What's the difference between like a lucky and an unlucky person?
1: Good question. this is where I risk offending everyone. Um, I was born with god's gift. no um, <laughs> i do I mention there in the rules? I guess I can share it anyhow because people listening probably aren't reading the rules at the moment, although if they want to, dreamsaroundtheworld.com. There you go. Um, there's a a study that was done where they had people go through a newspaper and yeah. they had to count how many ads were in the newspaper. And they would time the two groups. And they basically said to them, you know, read as fast as you can and then tell us how many are in there. And the unlucky group, I'm guess I'm like remembering the numbers vaguely here, but the unlucky group counted it was like thirty seven ads, and on average it took them about two minutes to go through. Mm -hmm. And the lucky group took something like seven seconds. And before this, I should clarify, before they did this, they were asked, like, do you consider yourself lucky? Or are you a lucky person? This sort of stuff. And that's how they right. grouped them. And right. the lucky group, the average was something like seven, 10 seconds, because on the third page, there was a ad that said, stop reading. There are 37 ads in this paper. You get 20 extra dollars. <laughs> and so the... There's a few different ways you can look at that. But one of the interpretations is that the people who consider themselves unlucky are often missing opportunities. They're sort of a closed mindset or a fixed mindset. Uh, it's the person out of a you know, TV show where they work at an office and they complain about how no one likes them and they have no romance. And the their coworker clearly has a crush on them and has right. been hitting on them for the last month. And they're so closed off because they believe no one likes them or they, you know, we get in these beliefs that, um, kind of close our mind off from what could be out there. And so I, I think there's some aspect of that. I don't, you know, you could think that it's a bit of the opposite, you know, if bad things happen to you, then you get this bad mindset. It's probably more the, the mindset, like if you go for things, um, The world's actually pretty nice people are pretty good there's a lot of good opportunities out there
0: right and well i think it could be a little bit of both uh you know like it starts with the mindset but then i mean no matter who you are there's the potential for bad things to happen but someone who is you know of a more uh abundant mindset who is quote unquote lucky is going to be the kind of person who will go through the bad thing and realize that that, you know, that doesn't define all of life, that there is more to it. There's good and bad. And uh, you can pick which one to focus on, you know.
1: Definitely. And and there's this self-fulfilling prophecy aspect. You know, we've all had that where you're feeling really good and then you walk different, you talk different, people treat you different because you're feeling really nice and putting out good vibes or whatever we want to call it, right? And yeah it can gain that momentum then it, it's, it definitely happens with dating you know if you believe in yourself then you have more confidence then you're more attractive to whoever you're trying to attract and then you're more attractive to them so you get more confidence because you know right. people are interested in you um as i see in your comments as uh i'm sure your confidence has no struggles at this point
0: <laughs> yeah it takes a while though it takes a while to build up you know yeah yeah, uh, the, it reminds me of, do you ever watch uh, Darren Brown? It, it, yeah, yeah, guy. I do.
1: I um, I was actually watching one of his videos today, but I, I watched
0: a lot of his stuff years ago. Yeah, he did one on luck. Have you seen that one? That one I haven't, I don't think. Oh, man, it's really good. Uh, he basically goes to this. I'll put it in the show notes How about that so everyone can check it out. But in brief, he goes to this town in England and I think they put up a statue of a dog in a park and, or maybe it was already there. I don't know. But it, he, then he has this woman who's acting like a news reporter who comes in and starts asking all the townspeople, have you heard about the Lucky Dog statue? So it's like it was the statue was not ever considered lucky, but all of a sudden he creates this like mythology around it, but through suggestion that it's lucky. And so all the people in the town start, you know, going to the dog after a while for luck. Like everyone just bought into it and, um, you know, typical Darren Brown. And then, (laughs) then he like profiles specific people to, you know, and their journey with luck. And it really just came down to what you're talking about there with like having your eyes open for opportunity and that being the difference, because there was one guy, I think his name was Wayne, the the butcher in town, who considered himself very unlucky, and they did all these experiments where they were try they were trying to give him good luck. And they did they even did stuff like throw up 20 pound note on the ground and he just walked right by it because he wasn't he just didn't have his eyes open he didn't think he was lucky and now i don't know if it's just like you generally just don't look for opportunities and that's what makes you unlucky i think that's basically what it is and they had to literally uh i think they had a thing where they literally had a truck drive by that said wayne call this number you won like to get him to win this prize. And he, ha- he saw it twice before he even called the number. <laughs> so, um, I, I mean, it really goes to show that there are people who are so convinced that there are no opportunities that they just pass right by them. They literally will walk right past a good opportunity. And uh, you know. at the same time, there were people in the show who considered themselves lucky and they just took all the opportunities. Like they, Darren Brown manufactured opportunities and they caught them all. So there really is something going on there with you. You create your own luck by just keeping your eyes open. And uh, sadly, though, I'm not sure if this is a rumor or not, but I think the butcher ended up getting like hit by a car and killed. So <laughs> at some point, years now, afterwards,
1: sad but does it not further prove?
0: <laughs> He was, maybe he wasn't he didn't you, have his eyes you, open. To you the did car.
1: establish that he had terrible eyesight or
0: Oh yeah, that could have been it. Maybe just, <laughs> he just um, He was just very nearsighted. that so was really his problem.
1: That actually there was uh there was a question I had written down before I wanted to ask you about which I think relates in a way to this which is um are there themes in some of your comments you get that um I'll just say you don't like. I don't I don't know how else to phrase it. Um, I'll give an example around kind of stereotypes. So a lot mm-hmm. of my viewers are ENFPs, and I have one video that's um, one of my more popular, and I think it's probably one of my more valuable, if I'm just being honest. Like what I share yeah. is I get a lot of positive feedback, and it's maybe 15 minutes. And every couple of weeks there'll be a comment that's like, ENFP here, video too long, can't pay attention, haha. Ha. And fortunately, there's enough ENFPs who will comment back like, you're a disgrace, like, shut up, right. that's not who we are. But I see these kind of comments, and they also, the, I mentioned the ones who are like ENFP Virgo, where I'm like, that isn't a great, um, I don't love that. Uh, right. But the reinforcing of the negative stereotypes, do you see that as well?
0: Yeah, I... It's not as prevalent, I think, as it maybe used to be because I've started to be a little bit more aggressive in my videos to try to, you know, shake that out of people's minds. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, there definitely is this element. And, you know, I was buying into it too when I first started, which is why you see like a kind of a shift from my earlier videos where people... And I talked about it in my last video at the end. People use their personality type as an excuse, and they don't want to grow. And one of the big things that I harp on, and it's an idea that I got from Dave Powers, Dave Superpowers, is uh, the key to growth is to look at the cognitive functions from your personality type that you like to use And dial those down so that you can develop the ones that you're not good at. So for an INFJ, that would be your thinking and sensing. And I used to get more comments. For this last video, since I kind of called it out, I didn't get as many. But I did get one where they're like, no, this is bad advice. Why would you tell me to develop the stuff I'm bad at? I should really just focus on my strengths. And on the one hand, it's good to know your strengths because that makes you unique and you can you know parlay that into something that someone else couldn't but you're it it would be like um being the guy who has really strong beefy arms but then your legs are sticks you know it's like yeah you can win arm wrestling contests all the time but uh you are still massively underdeveloped in another way So maybe at the gym, instead of focusing on your bicep curls, you do some squats. Uh, So I do. Yeah, I do occasionally get those comments, which kind of bother me that people I'm I'm giving them my idea on what to do to grow. And they don't want to grow. They want to. I mean, they don't want to grow the things they're bad at. They want to just continue to grow the things they're good at, which I think could work out for you maybe even for a long time but at some point it'll come crashing down because you're massively underdeveloped in another way and uh it, it yeah. just takes a certain amount of it's scary you know it's scary to do the stuff you're bad at so yeah.
1: it's a um, it's a really good uh good point and good topic i i do talk a lot uh well i do talk a lot in general we can just end it there uh but i talk <laughs> a lot in uh About like using your strengths and and one of the things I do advise like with setting up a business is track the things that really drain you and try to eliminate them over time. But, um, you know, thinking about it is it's not, you still want to develop fully, like develop out and be the most well-rounded INFJ or ENFP, like develop out yourself to your maximum potential, but then... Uh, If you are, well, I guess even if you're not working for yourself, but in whatever you're doing in life, structure it so you are spending most of your time doing the things you do best, because that's going to probably get you the biggest return and you'll maybe have more energy in that. But it's not not to mean, and I hope I'm not, I, I know you weren't addressing something I've said, but I hope I haven't been interpreted now that I think about it as saying, like, just ignore those faults. Like, don't, you know, fine tune yourself.
0: No, no. I mean, I get what you mean. It's like you'll burn yourself out if you are massively underdeveloped in one place and then you just focus on nothing but that. It's more like, a, you know, focus on it, br- bring it to consciousness, I guess, because so so often the default is to just leave it unconscious and never look at it, you know? and
1: Definitely. And uh, you do I'm get not- better over time the more oh, yeah. you work on whatever... Um, inferior trait
0: right and another part of it is even if you're not using it all the time it you need to become responsible for it you know like as an enfp even though you have inferior introverted sensing you can't just say i'm never responsible for that you know you can't live your life saying i never have to narrow anything down i never have to you know make plans. I never have to, uh, you know, organize stuff. You're still responsible for that. And maybe you don't focus, you know, your eight hour work day just on that stuff, but you have to eventually bring it to consciousness and realize that I'm in one way or another, I have to be responsible for it. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would agree. Um, and it is, I, I'm not a big fan of of corporate jobs or large institutions. No surprise, I guess there. Yeah. <laughs> but there there is an uh I, I suppose I'm thinking out loud here, but a benefit in it in that I'll talk sometimes to uh ENFPs who maybe finish school and are not really doing a lot, like they're sort of self-employed or kind of artist but not really pushing it like not full-time working on something they love and having a corporate job or being in the military or something like that probably isn't the most fun but it does force you to build some of these inferior parts of yourself because of the external pressure and realize like like um, an ENFP with a corporate job will probably be on time most of the time and get the work done because they have to and then develop themselves more. Whereas uh, without that, we definitely have to think and, and everyone has to think um, proactively about their weaknesses and become aware, like you said, and then work to develop them.
0: Right. Yeah, It's it's about building yourself up so that even if you have you know you have your natural strengths and yeah use those but it's a, in many ways it's about preventing being blindsided by other stuff you know the stuff you're bad at to become at least confident so that you don't uh so that you're not 60 years old and having some kind of extreme crisis because you've been ignoring something your whole life
1: yeah that wouldn't be fun that would not no. be fun.
0: <laughs> <laughs> generally not recommended um well dan i wanted to ask you another question i'm not sure how uh, how meaningful it'll be but you're in prague and i've heard that the beer there is very good can you give us a report on the beers in prague
1: I can, and before I do, I, I meant to say to you, you mentioned having never been to Europe before, and yeah. uh, neither had I before I came here, and then I just stayed. Oh, <laughs> So when I came here at age whatever it was, 28, I'd never been, and I never was interested in going, except my, my best friend was moving, and I tagged along, and mm-hmm. uh, and then I just, I just stayed. Uh, so we'll need to get you over here. Um, I might yes. never come back. You you fifty fifty I would say at least <laughs> um, the beer is is very good it is uh, maybe two dollars for a, a pint a pint like, um, that's at like a pricier place and like a nicer neighborhood if you go out of the center it's maybe a dollar twenty five at a bar Jeez. and it's uh you know how we have kegs in North America. They yeah. have tanks. So a tank, they basically have like a gas uh, truck driving around with beer, filling up these giant tanks of beer. Oh wow! And um, it is it is very good. Now, un- unfortunately, I have uh, I have been on this keto diet for a good year and a bit. Oh yeah, and uh, it doesn't work with the beer, which is right. Um, Probably the reason I, I wanted to go on it was the beer in the first place. But um, yeah, the beer is very good and you somehow don't get hangovers. I don't know. Eventually, you can if you really push your limits. But in general, compared to back home, uh, the yeah. same quantity. And uh, it is, it's is—it's a glorious country. It, it really is. Um, it's, it's funny. I, I never know what people's perception of it is it obviously varies anyone over 50 from north america often still calls it czechoslovakia and it's like right. they split in 1993 or yeah. <laughs> it's been um, a while. and uh it it's very it's an interesting city it, it, in terms of the pricing it, it's kind of middle mid-tier lower tier still for europe and, and compared to north america right but yeah. it's very similar to like a Vienna or extremely developed, like there's trams, probably the best uh transit system of anywhere I've ever been. And like the trams have Wi Fi, and Whoa. you can get groceries. Like, I can order groceries from my computer now to be delivered one hour from now nice. for like a three dollar or four dollar fee or something. So it's it's an interesting place, like, it, it's very old historically, like the buildings and the some of the vibe, but it's um. Uh, prospering economy now like everything's going really well it's it's interesting place to be
0: yeah eastern europe has been a place that uh has always interested me at least since i've been like i've been very interested in travel for several years and just never done it but uh yeah eastern europe definitely like uh prague uh ljubljana is another place i've wanted to go uh all around croatia so uh, i'm glad to hear that the beer is as good as reported but yeah I, I totally get you with the uh the keto diet i've been kind of doing lazy keto for a while um <laughs> so uh and i gave up drinking in uh, december so i'm living vicariously through through others <laughs> for the time being you
1: know that's fair. I have stuck to the keto relatively. I do take some some cheat times, but I have not given up the drinking. I've just switched to the the rum or or wine. Yeah, There's only so I much found, a guy can give up.
0: Right, right. Well, I found when I as soon as I switched over to low carb, my alcohol tolerance like went through the floor. Like it's very uh, I Yeah, it does. I became very much lightweight.
1: It does drop, and um, I don't know if you found like there's a point you can get to where your mental performance really takes off.
0: Yeah, I, I haven't. It takes. I usually cheat enough that I don't, I never really get there, but I have tasted it a bit. Yeah.
1: So one thing I found, I, I I think it was March. I basically took a month off. I was in mostly Italy and Spain, and it'd just be ridiculous to to be right, right there. Um and when i came back i i won't bore you with the details but basically i figured out that some kind of basic cardio like running for 25 minutes when you haven't eaten so like first thing in the morning or late afternoon after maybe 4 hours of not eating mm-hmm. really puts me in that mental supercharge quickly and yeah. and that's kind of a a bit of a cheat to get there in terms of that mental supercharge and um I don't know what else, but that's been working well for me.
0: Yeah, I feel like, uh, well, that's that's a, cardio is a good uh, complement to keto. I mean, you know, cardio in general is good, but uh, I think it really gets you deep into that uh, ketosis when you're burning off any excess carbs that you happen to ingest, so... See, so, yeah, I'm I'm here doing that, doing that low carb thing along with you. I feel you.
1: So, it, for yeah. everyone listening, these are the sacrifices we make to have the energy to make things for you.
0: Right? Yeah i uh, <laughs> i I want that big bowl of pasta, uh, or you know that that rice, but just can't do it.
1: Zucchini pasta, but, zucchini pasta. I can right, I can give
0: right. you my my
1: cooking method. Uh, off the air, not because it's a secret, but just, <laughs> I'm sure people are already bored out of their minds. So,
0: well, that you know, you'd be surprised people's tolerance of uh, <laughs> boring conversation topics. But um, the other, the only, the only thing though, we'll we'll close on this. How about that? Is Wait, before I we
1: wanna... do, uh, just because yeah. if I forget, she'll kill me. Uh, no, Natasha, who works for me, wanted to say hello. She is a okay. a massive fan. And I guess I want to thank her for setting this up as well. So well, she is an INFJ for anyone listening who is an INFJ and, and just curious on that. She said I should mention it.
0: Great. Well, thanks, Natasha, for arranging this. She was the one who initially reached out to me to set up the the podcast. So um, shout out to her. Um, and the... Is there, well, is there anything else, any other burning things to get off your chest here?
1: Uh, No, no, I'm good. <laughs> um, I will, when we're done at some point, I'm happy to give you the lowdown of, of Central and Eastern Europe, help you plan an epic adventure. But uh, nice. that's it. Yeah.
0: Very cool. The, uh, the only other thing I was going to add to the keto conversation is, the problem is, like I experienced this last weekend, as soon as you, you know, have a cheat meal, have a bunch of fries or whatever, you feel like you've gained like 10 pounds overnight. It's that's the this the drawback of it. You get that water weight. It
1: comes back. Yeah. When I did the month in Spain and Italy, I I did not hold back and I, I definitely added probably five, 10 pounds, which I've I've now got rid of again. But it came back in a fury. The the
0: things we do, man.
1: (laughs) The things we do. All
0: right. Well, Dan, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I hope we can do it again sometime. And uh, where should people check you out if they want to see more of what you do online?
1: Yeah. So YouTube and my podcast are both just dreams around the world. And uh, you can find me there. I do new videos every week. And then my website... Uh, I think Natasha actually set up a page with some kind of thing. I should know what it is, but if you go to either just dreamsaroundtheworld.com dot com or if you want to be special, you can do forward slash Frank James, and I think there's a page uh, she's set up there as well.
0: Ooh, I'm going there right now.
1: I hope um, it, I hope <laughs> it's up at this point. I don't know if it's maybe. Oh yeah,
0: yeah, it's there. Yeah, nice. I go to dreamsaroundtheworld slash Frank James. And there is a free offer on there. Check it out, everyone. Dan, thanks so much. And uh, I'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Talk to you soon. There he goes. Another big thanks to Dan for joining me on the podcast. It was a great time. Make sure that if you're on SoundCloud, you hit the heart button. If you're on iTunes, leave a five-star glowing ecstatic review. And if you're on Spotify, I'm not sure if there's anything you can do. But but we tried. You know what I mean? Make sure you check out Dan on his YouTube channel, Dreams Around the World, and visit dreamsaroundtheworld.com slash frankjames. They'll take care of you over there. Just tell them FJ sent you, and uh, you'll get your next car with $3,000 off MSRP. Not really. I hope you understand that that is a joke. Well, that's all I've got today. Let me check my show notes Oh, yeah, it looks like <clears throat> nothing else for today. So <laughs> thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Stay tuned for another podcast coming at you sometime in the future, because that's the only time it could happen. And until then, I'll see you.